0: Hello, welcome to the Revive for the Journey podcast, where we give you this week's message from Cove Church. We pray that it blesses you and helps you grow deeper in your journey with Christ. Enjoy. Well, hello, Cove Church. So great to be with you today. You know, among my favorite transitions in the yearly calendar is the one that happens just about now where pumpkin spice lattes are replaced with peppermint mochas, where flannels become jackets, where baseball hats are swapped for warm beanies, where department stores in their seasonal aisles, they shift from the colors of orange and black to deep greens and reds. And they exchange on their PA speakers, monster mash for Santa Claus is coming to town. Yard decorations move from ghouls and zombies to angels and saints, Saint Nicholas being a pretty big deal. The mornings get colder, offering that yearly possibility that maybe, just maybe this year, we'll get snow. Reminders that every day we get one step closer to Christmas. You know, even with the various struggles in place this year, from the virus to supply chain issues to labor struggles, making it possible the gift you hope to offer at Christmas will actually become an Easter present instead. Not to mention that life for most of us has fallen a bit short of a Hallmark movie. But even so, to me, I find it inspiring that none of that can take away the fact that Christmas is close once again and that our hearts can be lifted at least just a little bit. I mean, I think it's so great that of all the holidays that we celebrate throughout the year, that it is the birth of Jesus that has the potential to stir in us that which is most noble, that which is most compelling, the extraordinary virtue of hope. That's the virtue we talk about today. I also know that in talking about that virtue and in mentioning that childlike expectation around Christmas, I understand that all of us don't necessarily feel that way. In fact, for some of us, we haven't really felt that kind of hope about anything for a long, long time. And to that, I would offer a very simple explanation that each of us, in various ways in life, have had our hopes dashed. You know, we thought it was supposed to be this way, but it wasn't. We thought it was supposed to turn out like this, but it didn't. And if that happens enough, we can move through life becoming jaded, wounded, shifting from hopeful hope less. It can start out really early on. I, I, can, I can remember um, being in the third grade and they were doing the, the school play and it was a western that year and, and so I don't remember having to audition. I don't know how that part happened but, but there was the typical roles in a western play that you would have. You would have the damsel in distress character You had a a Dudley Do-Right character, in fact I think that was his name, and you had of course Black Bart, the villain. And so uh, I, you know, signed up to be a part of this thing and they gave to me the role of Black Bart. I'm sure it was just my rugged handsomeness, uh, you know, sort of a swagger that I had and a, a deep foreboding darkness that was in me as well. I'm sure that combo, they knew that this guy could carry Black Bart, they could see it in me and so they gave me that that particular role and i i was like i'm in man i'm doing this thing and at that time in our lives we we had a horse so i was around a lot of westerny stuff i had access to a lot of western gear so i decided for my costume you know i I would i would do the part and so i put it all together i had the black hat i had the vest i had like the bolo tie and and the, the white shirt I had, I had jeans, but then I had chaps, like full on chaps. I had boots with spurs. And the whole thing just tied together. I looked good. I put on the like fake mustache, you know, drew it in there. Man, I was ready. And I came to school that day knowing that I would be the best black Bart that Marshall Elementary School had ever seen. I was just gonna crush it with this. I remember walking into my classroom that day, all decked out. In my gear. In my mind I can imagine a hush came over the classroom when I entered, you know, just the sounds of me walking. Ching, 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 stood there. It's right, people. Black Bart has arrived. Do Tumbleweed comes across. Whew. Walk through the aisle up to my teachers. Black Bart reporting for duty, ma'am. She looked at me and she was talking to the Dudley Do Right character. She looked at him. He was just a kid, regular kid, probably didn't, wasn't around horses and stuff. And so he just had a plaid shirt, a really crumpled looking kind of straw hat, and tennis shoes. And then she saw me just fully decked out and she was like, There's no way this can work. The, the good guy looks a mess and, and the bad guy looks amazing. And so you know what they did? They made us trade costumes. Can you believe that? And all I went through to get there, all I went through to put this together, I ended up wearing the the janky straw hat and this lame plaid shirt and tennis shoes instead of my amazing black bard outfit. It was kind of disappointing. After all that work, after all that hope, in a moment, it all changed. My hope was dashed. Now, just so you know, I think I have healed that moment. I think I'm okay. Um, I'm sure the teachers have regretted that decision ever since. But I will tell you one thing, I never signed up for a play again. And that's just one silly experience. But we all have real disappointments in life, don't we? That marriage that was supposed to last. And it didn't. That job that was supposed to help our family and it actually hurt our family. That child that was supposed to be healthy, but they're not. That parent that was supposed to live. And amidst those real losses, we may discover we have lost something else. Hope. This ability to walk through life knowing that there is something ahead to look forward to. The possibility of something good. We desperately need this but not a hope like the world offers. No, that's the hope that lets us down over and over again. No, what we need is a hope that lasts, a hope that we can trust, a hope that begins with this understanding that God so loved the world that God gave. Hope. See, I... I still to this day, I love Christmas, even in its Americanized form and I'm sure it's, it's broken by materialism and there's shallow sentiment in there, all that stuff. But even so, Christmas has the potential to bring hope because Christmas stands as a powerful reminder that regardless of the dynamics of this world and the challenges we face and the darkness that surrounds us Christmas reminds us that a light has come and the darkness does not have to win because Jesus brings hope and so today we get to explore that virtue and my prayer is that we would move past the fallen hope of this world and discover the genuine virtue of hope that is found in Jesus. And the first thing I point out is this. We are called to answer hope. We are called to answer hope. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6 is where we begin today. Right where you are, let's read it together. Big voices, go. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. I can remember uh, as a younger kid, in those days, um, this was before cell phones, this was even before answering machines. And so when the phone would ring, it was like the greatest mystery ever. Like who could possibly be calling? (laughs) It was incredible. You like had no idea. It could be your neighbor. It it could be like an uncle. It it could be the girl that you liked. It could be the president. You had no idea who was calling. It was this incredible mystery every time the phone rang because it was this moment that was filled with possibility. And because of that, all you wanted to do really was to answer it. Unless you were watching cartoons, but usually you wanted to answer it because you had no idea who was there. Now, when it comes to phone calls, all the mystery is gone, isn't it? We know who's calling. We decide if we are are gonna make them worthy of our time. And if we see that phrase scam likely, we're probably not gonna pick that up. Not gonna answer that call. Much more cautious, I think we are today about the calls that we answer. But sadly, I think that same caution can then be applied to the call of God. As God is calling that we're going, eh, I'm not sure I'll take that call, God. This passage shows us that God is sharing his light, but we decide if it makes its way into our hearts. Now, now I get it. Maybe we're scared. Maybe we've been hurt. But the question remains, will we answer God? What we see here is that hope emanates before it renovates, meaning God's light shines into the darkness, but we decide if it will shine into our hearts. Because God's hope can actually transform the way we walk in this world, but we have to agree to that transformation. Here God is calling us to be more and to see more and to experience more of him but for that to happen we have to answer God's call of hope because at our deepest level human beings are hope-based creatures. We're made for hope. Let me show you what I mean. Imagine if we, could, uh, if we had two identical men, uh, like, basically like identical twins almost, even identical in personality, same person essentially, okay? Two identical men, and they, they have the exact same life. They have the same houses. They go to work at the exact same place. They actually have the same job at the place they work. Let's say it's like mill work. Okay, it's that kind of job, sort of a repetitive kind of job. They put a gizmo on a thingamabob. That's a technical term. And they do that over and over every day. That's their job. It's not a fun job. It's not an exciting job. It's tedious. It's repetitive. It's difficult, but they both do that same job. And there at that factory, they have identical conditions. The the same breaks, the the same temperatures. They they both get a 30-minute lunch at the same time every day to eat their their same PB&J. They they have the same equipment. Everything is identical. The only difference between the two is that the first man, you say, if you do this job for one year, at the end of that year, I'll pay you $10,000. But to the second man, you say, you do this job for one year. And at the end of that year, I'll pay you $10 million. Now, imagine those two sitting on their 30-minute lunch break and they're talking about their jobs. The first one is going to say, this job is so difficult. This is so hard. I, I hate this job. I'm thinking of quitting. It's just not worth it. But the second man will say, what do you mean? I love this job. This is the, the greatest job I've ever had. Can you imagine how this is, this is the best job? Can you believe how great this job is? What's the difference between the two? The difference is hope. See, what we believe about our future determines much of our experience in the present. And the beauty of Jesus is that he calls out to each of us with this future hope that is beyond good, this heavenly hope that is so amazing. Telling us that in this world, yes, you will have trouble, but fear not, I have overcome this world. And I don't know about you, but I am so grateful to know that there is more available to me than what this world has to offer me. Because this world is filled with pain and yet right there, Jesus offers us genuine hope. I can remember as a teenager, um, above my bed, I had a poster of Michael Jordan, <laughs> which uh, probably a lot of teenagers did back then. It wasn't that I was a great basketball player, but it was Michael Jordan. You had Michael Jordan, whether or not you were a great basketball player. And it was the, the poster, it was labeled, Soaring. On the bottom of it, and, and it's an amazing. It's I can still see the image. It's Michael Jordan. He's got a basketball palmed in his hand, and his legs are kicked out backward. And we know that he had he had jumped from before the free throw line to dunk this ball. And one hand was back, and one hand was forward, and his tongue was out. And and there's this crowd that you can see behind him, and there's folks in the crowd you can see just they're amazed at what they're watching. That he's jumped so far to dunk this ball, and it's it, you can it's just the most amazing image. He's jumped so high and so far and, and every night I went to bed with that image and and what I would end up doing like through my days and with friends and stuff is what did we want to do we wanted to be like Mike you know and so we would get basketballs hopefully ones that's, you know small enough that we could we could palm it and we'd find really short little basketball hoops so that we could pretend and we could jump and we could do that just a little bit but we tried hard and we we tried to do that over and over again because we'd never seen anyone do that before. And so we suddenly had hope that that a human being can, can make that possible. See, this is what Jesus gives us hope for. Jesus gives us this invitation to a far greater hope, one available to every person, not just super athletes. Jesus calls us to his hope, Because in Jesus, each of us has this invitation to his kingdom of light, to his presence. It's the promise of eternal hope made by the one who never breaks his promise. Jesus is calling us to that hope. The question is, will we answer? Because we're called to answer hope. That's a first thing. Here's the second thing. We're called to carry hope. Called to carry hope. Let's continue the passage. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 7. Let's read it together. Big voices go. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. So what Paul is doing is he's making this comparison between those who follow Christ and Clay jars, <laughs> okay? Um, the, the connection being that, that these are something that is common. These are something that is fragile. These are something that often have spots and cracks, thin spots in them. They're something that's made by hand, though, and they're also something that's made with a purpose. And he's saying that's a lot like us. saying Jesus in us is like a treasure in a jar of clay, and I, and I think the best modern way to, to understand this would, would have been what we saw just a few weeks ago. Uh, around Halloween, you would see these on porches and ultimately, uh, eventually you see them smashed on streets. But uh, perhaps you'd see some of these that, that look like this. These are probably better than most of what we saw, but you get the idea. Here's, here's uh, three examples of what I'm talking about. Now, here in that imagery, The message that that Paul is trying to convey regarding us being jars of clay is really wrapped up in what you see here. That it's in the thin places. It's in the weak places. Those are the places that allow the light to shine through. That even amidst our fragility, even amidst our brokenness and our cracks, we carry the light of the world and that light shines even brighter amidst our weakness. That we are containers of hope, carrying God's power, not our own. That we carry the hope that God creates. And that hope, friends, is certain. Why? Because it was paid for with the life of God's Son. A life given for us on a cross. See, the resurrection of Jesus, what it does is it proves that our debt was paid. The cross actually did accomplish what it was designed to do, it accomplished death. But upon it, right there, God's son finished his work in the flesh, but that work wasn't over because on the third day, Jesus rose again and showed himself to hundreds of others, which means now, in the resurrection of Christ, the cross is transformed then from relic to receipt. That because of the cross, now stamped across the ledger of human history in bold red letters is three words, paid in full. That, friends, is what gives us the certainty of our hope. Like, um, have you ever purchased something from a store and you got it in the bag and you walk out through the scanners and the scanners go off? You know, and what's your first response? Like, I'm not a criminal. I didn't do it. And what are you doing? You're grabbing for the receipt. I've got the receipt right here. I've got the receipt. I'm not a criminal. I'm not stealing anything. I paid for all this stuff. The person can remember me at the checkout stand. Here's my receipt. I paid for this. That's what we do when that happens. Here's the receipt. That proof then gives me the, the confidence to know I've got the receipt here. I can walk free. On the cross, Jesus purchased eternal life for us. It is a certainty, it is the receipt. And because of that, we can walk in a confidence with Jesus knowing that we're free, that my life was paid for right there and I can carry then that hope in my freedom. That Jesus actually purchased us from death And because of that, we can carry God's hope with us. That's the second thing. Here's the last thing. We are called to refine hope. To refine hope, let's finish the passage, 2 Corinthians 4, starting verse 8. Let's read it together. Big voices go. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair persecuted but not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. This is a really important understanding because here we see A refining process through which hope is produced. We see here words like pressed and crushed and perplexed and persecuted and struck down. Not necessarily super comfortable words, right? Not comfy words. In fact, instead of sounding like comfort, it sounds much more like a crucible. That's because it is. It is a crucible of hope. Because the promise on the other side is this, that if we won't despair, and if we won't be destroyed, and that we will see Christ revealed in our lives. But that process, friends, is not all unicorns and rainbows. (laughs) Think of it like this. Think of a process that something goes through, a person puts something through to make something incredibly beautiful, incredibly amazing, let's say it's um, a donut, okay? because we know those are beautiful and amazing. So think of a process that a donut goes through in order to become a donut. It starts out uh, with, with wheat being created. So you have the wheat that is harvested, it's cut off like with sharp blades, it's cut off, and then it is ground under incredible pressure into flour, okay? That's a very painful crushing kind of experience. And then that wheat is combined with other ingredients, much like it, sugar, which has been through a similar process. is combined with eggs, which we know the journey that eggs have taken to get there. That's not a whole lot of fun. So all that stuff is blended together, and they're put together, and then they, they are violently pulled apart and squeezed back together over and over again. Eventually, it's rolled out with a rolling pin. And once again, it is cut, this time into little O's. You know, that shape, the O's. And if that's not enough, the last step in the process is that that little O is put into boiling oil. (laughs) Finally to come out and emerge with this soothing, sugary glaze. The result is this circular piece of heaven that we know as a donut. In fact, you should thank the next donut you meet because that donut has been through a lot to get where it is. But we must understand, see, that whole process led to something great. Friends, God's hope does not come out of our comfort. God's hope comes out of our crucible because we clearly see God's hope when we have lost hope in everything else. And if there's any lesson that we can learn from this last season of life, it's the lesson that life is too short and too unpredictable to hope in anything but God, to hope in anyone but God. That yes, life will include being hard pressed and crushed and perplexed and even feeling persecuted And it can feel like every week you just get knocked down one more time and you have to find a way to get back up. Yet it is there within that crucible that God's hope is refined in us. And yes, I wish it came about a different way. I wish it didn't have to be like this, but I think our experience in life bears out this truth that hard things can lead to great things when we trust Jesus with them. Yet too often, that challenge comes our way and we just want to give up on the process. Saying, that's it, God, I've had it with you. Where, where's the provision you promised? Where's the peace you said I would have? Well, this relationship, God, is still broken. Why is that? The, this bill is still broken unpaid. That sickness is not healing. Where's those greater things you said I would do than you? And it's amidst those trials that we are tempted to allow our hope to be destroyed and dismantled and undone. But here's the truth. Christ wants to transform our lives from a hope wrecking yard to a hope Refinery, a crucible that produces an amazing, beautiful product, the product of God's hope. You know, John Newton said, everything is needful that he sends, and nothing is needful that he withholds. Hmm. Could we live? believing that, friends, I know we're all going through our own crucibles right now, crucibles of of uncertainty and hurt and disappointment, but could we decide to actually trust God's process, knowing that it will produce God's product, the product of hope, product of hope in Jesus alone? I'll wrap up with this. There is no greater symbol of the crucible of hope than the cross. For it was on that blunt and rugged instrument of death that our hope for eternal life was made possible. In fact, the Gospel of Matthew draws a very direct connection between us and the cross. Matthew sixteen twenty-four says then Jesus told his disciples if anyone would come after me let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me friends a journey to god's hope will always include a cross if hope required a cross for jesus hope will require a cross for us a place where we die to what isn't Jesus so we can come alive to what is Jesus. So the question is, where is your hope gauge at today? Maybe for you, it's, your hope gauge is going to increase because today you're going to finally decide to put your hope in Jesus in a real way. Maybe for you, your hope gauge is going to lift today because you're going to be willing to be hope's container. Say, I recognize there's weakness in my life, but I'm not going to allow that weakness to keep me from showing the amazingness of God in my life. Maybe today, your hope gauge will increase because you're willing to accept that you are to be hope's crucible. That hope would actually be refined in you. Wherever you are, God wants to elevate your hope today and let you experience this virtue in your life that not only transforms your tomorrows, but it transforms your today. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. To stay connected with all things Cove Church, visit our website, covechurchpnw.com or on all social media platforms at covechurchpnw. We'll see you next time.